Welcome, Muse Hackers. You're listening to the Hack Your Muse podcast with Kelly McClymer. Our mission is to help you discover your muse and write what you want, when you want, and how you want. Today's guest is Michelle Spiva. She writes as USA Today bestselling Michael Daniels. She's the author of the Dragon's Curvy series, the Elodian Alien Warrior Romance series, and the Dragophile Clan Romance series. Here's a little of what you can expect from Michael Daniels' books. Cross the burning sands of reality to immerse yourself in the colorful action-adventure romance and mysterious worlds of aliens, paranormals, shifters, and more. Find your next book escape with Michael Daniels. Welcome, Michelle. I'm really excited to have you here. Thank you for having me, Kelly. I appreciate it. Well, you know I value your wisdom and your wit, too. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm very glad that you decided you're willing to try out my podcast before it's gone live and be one of my early guests. Anything for you, Kelly, anything. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So we're going to start right in with the big question. Do you believe you have a writing muse? Uh, Yes, I think everybody does. All right. Do you get along with her? Occasionally. (laughs) (laughs) I say my muse is Baba Yaga, and I never know whether she's going to be kind to me or whether she's going to smack me down. Well, um, if I had to give her an attribute like that, I would say she's probably more like Kali from the uh, Hindu religion, (laughs) the goddess of ego, (laughs) where she's smacking me down. Yeah, she's a powerful one. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't personify the muse as Kali, but like I said, if I'm trying to think of our relationship, then yeah. But I mean, it's, it's an ongoing um, revelation, iteration, and and um, training because of um, the energy behind who I am and how the creative uh, comes to me. So it can so, be, mm-hmm. it can be what varied. So I've been doing a lot of thinking about my muse, and I have this, I don't know if I want to call it a revelation, but I have this suspicion that the muse is actually just our amygdala talking to us, and if we ignore it, then that's a very bad thing. Because one of the things I've been looking at is trying to figure out, okay, how am I going to, why am I, okay, here's my big question. Okay, I said I was going to mess up in the, in the middle of it, and I did. So, done. This is definitely not a polished podcast. Okay, so here we go. I have been struggling, and this is one of the reasons for this podcast, with the fact that I want to write. I've been writing my whole life, and I've been fighting writing my whole life. And I finally sat down and said, why is this going on? 
and I was doing coincidentally some other work on why I wasn't doing other things like, you know, eating the way I wanted to or, or following a schedule or uh, other things that were frustrating me. And I suddenly said, oh, I'm not writing what I want to write because I'm having all of these fears that I'm not acknowledging. And it's so much easier to just go do the dishes or read a research book or something like that. So what do you say to that? Well, I did a a training um, and yeah, I did a training a couple of summers ago. I'm going to actually do it again pretty soon. People have been asking for it. And I talked about the whole process of the, the create creation uh, cycle as it pertains to creatives, artists, um, musicians, writers, and the like. And I came up with this process after going through this, you know, for the, for the last decade plus and mm-hmm. being able to work with so many thousands of people, taking them through the process. And I came up with this term I call create anxiety. And um, there's this uh, famous research, and his name escapes my mind right now. I might look it up and and let you know so you can possibly put it in the show notes. But um, he talked about what happens when the creative trigger is ignited. And for me, I believe, for me, my opinion is that we are creators uh, encased in a temporal body. And when we connect to that original source of all creation, then it ignites that in us. And I think you've possibly heard me say this before because I say it often. I believe as writers that we are, at this particular junction, we are mortal beings tapping into immortality to bring it through us where we poop out immortality. (laughs) And so, yeah, and so because of that, there is a taxation that is um, required of us. So with my create, create anxiety process that I help my students get through, I was like, when you get that, um, that great idea or that motivation or um, that ignition to, to create and to produce, you get excited. And what happens is, is when it comes through our body, because there are limits on us and there are filters, it creates a, a trigger for anxiety. And once you um and, and it usually happens when you sit down to write or even after you've done your plot depending on where you are in in um this process but it will trigger you you'll become uh anxious about it uh the that's where the imposter syndrome starts to come in and a whole bunch of different things so so you have this first initial thing and I broke it down into three sections. So the creation happens, anxiety, and then we start, I usually call it the valley of despair where <laughs> you begin the struggle. Now, the thing about creators and in, in the creative process that we write, unlike automation for other people where once you learn a system, then you just do the system over and over again with a few tweaks, we approach each new project as a new experience because it should be. We're not writing the same thing over and over again. You and I know each book has its own personality. It has its Mm -hmm. own attitude and tone of how it wants to interact with you, how uh, you're going to interact with it. So just when you thought it was safe to go back in the water, (laughs) the sharks are there. So in this valley of despair, you have frustration, you have toil, 
And then you have try-fail cycles where you're trying and you're stopping and you're trying. And I know you sent me some notes before and you wanted to get my take on those. I won't steal from, from my answers for that, but I'll just say at this particular <laughs> point that in this valley of despair, that's where you get those, I don't want to, I don't want to, <laughs> you know, um, there is uh, a, a lot of research out there. If you're looking at Anders Ericsson, if you're looking at um, uh, Daniel Kahneman with the system one, system two thinking, if you're, if you're looking at all of these people who have done great work into how the mind works, neuroplasticity, neurobiology, uh, the creative process, Mihai Chink Sikmahai, getting into flow and all of those, they all talk about these sparks and then the process. And then they talk about either an epiphany, an enlightenment, or a flow state. And so it's kind of like when you desire to work with the muse, you kind of go through a hazing process where you have to pay your dues. <laughs> you get up, you know, you get up, you Darn get excited. <laughs> yeah, you get excited. Anxiety comes. Oh, my God, this is big. This feels like um, a team of Mustangs that I, I don't have control over. And then you go into that frustration stage. You go into the toil. Um, and that's where a lot of people stay and they feel like it's a desert. You know, there have been times where, I have felt like a book that I'm writing feels like the eternal term paper where everybody else gets to go to the movies and I'm stuck at home because my term paper is due and I need to write it. <laughs> <laughs> That's when you know you're in that middle stage. So after you get out of that middle stage and you start to get into that flow state um, or that epiphany where, oh, I'm starting to... Uh, get introduced to this to this creation enough where the creation can now help me and assist me to bring it to fruition the way it wants to then you move into that third state where it is like i said it's the epiphany it is where it becomes live and breathing enough for it to have input and impact on you i mean it'll even give you nuances such as the complexion of its tone and mood that it wants to have and that's when it becomes easy uh, for some people it shows up at the beginning and then it wanes or takes a nap, as one of my students likes to say, <laughs> at the end. For other people, it shows up after they re uh, write the first movement of the book. Some at the last part. It, and, and it can vary depending on what project you're working on. Um, not to keep on going on, but I've talked to people, I was very interested in people who are... Um, uh, flow writers. They they have an idea and they just sit down and they, they write into the dark, as Dean Wesley Smith would say. And I, I asked them about their process and, and, and they are no different from people who have to plot and have to have at least um, beats to know where they're going. Everybody goes through this create anxiety uh, process. And so um, maybe that was a little too off. off the no, yeah. well, I really liked one of the things you started to say. I mean, that you said at the beginning when you were starting out, um, you know how in the, in the fantasy world, you, magic has to have a cost to it. Mm -hmm. And so if our writing is magic, it makes sense that if we're really exerting our magical talents, we're going to have a cost associated with that. I like that idea. That makes yeah. a lot of sense to me. And I mean, everyone is creative. Uh, what's that old saying? Everyone wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to die. It's the same thing. <laughs> it's the same thing with a book. Everybody wants to be an author, but nobody wants to go through the process. 
Well, there is... It, there is a special vulnerability with writing a book, uh, even though, even if you write straight to market and you're not quite attached to it in the same way as someone who's writing a book of the heart, you still, you don't want anybody to dislike your baby. And in the real world, you know, people like books or they don't like books. They don't think very much about it and they don't, it's not personal. It's just the story gets them. Or it doesn't get them. <laughs> My mother was a voracious reader. And we, thankfully, a lot of her children, she had six, a lot of us inherited that voraciousness from her. And I remember being lost in books when I was a little kid. And the funny thing was, is I was reading Edgar Allan Poe. <laughs> and My mother was like, that's a little too dark, darling. I mean, I, I'm like, seriously, I'm like, 10 reading Edgar Allen getting lost in the seven gables and all of these different books and stuff and then I moved on to Charles Dickens and all of these and um she was very excited about my journey and I remember having conversations with her where I would tell her about these these far and wide different figures that I met and she said to me um I'm paraphrasing because this is fuzzy years ago she said inside a book it's the closest you'll ever be able to have an intimate secret with someone that you never knew. And I loved, I loved that. I love she, and she even said, she said, you know, she says on TV, you can sit here with your siblings and watch the same cartoon. You all can laugh together and all that kind of stuff. She says, but when it's just you and that page, it's just you and that author. And so on the flip side of that, when you were talking about writing straight to market and those types of things, uh, I've been able to, to talk to uh, some ghostwriters recently um, because in our industry, some stuff has been happening and I just, you know, wanted to know. So I asked and um, they would say that, no, you really can't just be detached from it because mm-hmm. if you're a living form, you have to breathe life into something that is creative. Um, I'm going to jump over to um, an observation. So there's this uh, uh, show on right now. It's a new show. I don't know when this is coming out, so it may not be new when it comes out. But it's called Songland, and it's about uh, writers, songwriters, who are auditioning for established artists to pick their songs. And the show that I watched, this songwriter, he did a beautiful job. And he he said he wrote the song for that artist. um, And when he sang it, she picked him. She did pick him. And when he sang it um, on the YouTube comments, they have his version and they have her version. His version is a sample. This is the thing. His version is a one minute sample. Her version is the three-minute version. And everybody is still talking about, you shouldn't have let that go. It should have been for you and all of this and da 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 and, and everything. And I connected with what they were saying on the one hand. Now, I believe she did a great job. Right. But I understand that part of the creative process goes back to my understanding that we are a conduit, spirit, creative source, however you want to call it, comes through us, and then we manifest it out into the earth, and it is because we are legally supposed to be here, meaning that we're not, we're, that, that we are corporeal beings, we're not ghosts, we're not phantoms, phantasms, devils, demons, whatever you want to call it, we are actually physically here while we have that connection, that there is no way you can 
create something without you being able to touch it or infuse it or imbue it with something that is divinely yours into the earth. I just don't believe it. I do not believe it. There are always traces, fingerprints, and DNA stamped somewhere on whatever we create. Oh, I agree with you 100%. And actually... This is a little bit of an aside, but um, I was talking to someone who runs a, a data company and part of the data they do is um, they work with a university that parses uh, fiction, parses all kinds of writing. And they say if they have three paragraphs of writing, any kind, just a simple, just someone writes three paragraphs, they can tell you what author it is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I and read that's that. a little scary. <laughs> I love that. I read that book, um, the bestseller code, and they were talking about that. And uh, then, and they started off with the person who uh, realized that Robert Goldbrath, Goldbrath was actually J.K. Rowling because of that same thing. He did it without a computer, but they have a computer that that does that stuff too. I don't know if it's the same university, but I thought that was really intriguing, and that was part of where. I use that repository for my my current belief system about the the creative and what we produce. I do think some people are healthier, maybe I'll say, about separating themselves from their books. And they understand that even though they really think that everyone in the world should read their book and love it, that is not reality. (laughs) That's not going to happen. And I I do think that's that's a hard thing for writers. I always remember this uh, old um, interview with Diane Warren, of the famous love song songwriter, who's written so many hits. I think she's in somebody's Hall of Fame for it. And the funny thing is, is the average person, if you if you call out her name, they don't know who she is. Um, and they talk to her. And, and this is the part that I remembered from that interview all those years ago. They said, Diane, they, they didn't say, who hurt you? They didn't say that. They were like, <laughs> <laughs> she writes these gut-wrenching love songs. And at the time, they said, how do you come up with these? Why don't you just keep them and sing them yourself? And she says, because I enjoy having someone else take my creation and make it blossom. She says, I can touch more people because many singers sing my songs than if I was trying to sing them all. And, but this is the part that got me. And that's why I'm thinking about it because of what you said, Kelly. And she says, and to be honest with you, I've never been in love. And they were like, what? (laughs) She (laughs) She was like, I write pretty words about what I've observed other people go through when they break up. You know, she wrote that song for Celine Dion about the Titanic and, you know, my heart will go on and all this kind of stuff. She's never been in love. At the time, she said she had never been in love. Now, I don't know if she's been in love since, but at that time, she's like, I've never been in love. And she said it so flippantly. And I was like, wow, okay. But she has a, a certain way of uh, putting those songs out that they really touch at the heartstrings of people. So, you know, interesting. So yes, you are right. There are certain people that can create and then become detached from it. So I just want to go, this is another sidebar, but um, I was just listening to a radio program. I listened to a lot and they were talking about Paul McCartney's song, mother Mary. I'm not exactly sure what the title is, but it has mother Mary. Um, in the lyrics. And uh, they said, Aretha Franklin originally 
did that song before Paul McCartney did it. He gave, he wrote it and gave it to her. And so they played in the, on this radio show, they played both of the songs together. His, I mean, her singing it and then his, him singing it. And she turned it into a spiritual, whereas mm-hmm. his was a little, a little more rock and roll, but also very ballady. Whereas hers was a just straight on um, spiritual and they were both beautiful. I mean, they both made the song their own. Obviously, he wrote it, so it was a little more his. But her interpretation of it was all hers. It was really moving. Yeah, I believe we all have um, eternal imprints on whatever we touch and come through. I'm not well-versed on Paul McCartney, but I do have a special place in my heart for him because of the song Blackbird. And it was written about the plight of Black women in America during the civil rights time. So, I mean, to, to think that he connected enough to write such a hauntingly beautiful song that's I did by, not know that that's yes, oh now I have to go listen to that now that I know that if you now when you listen to it and he gets to that part you know the part that says spread your wings and fly it makes a totally different experience because of, of that and so that's yeah. cool I did not know that mm-hmm. all right okay so you do believe in the writing muse or the power of the muse or the power of tapping into the, that big, wide everything. So the next thing I want to ask you is um, I want you to tell about the first time you sat down and wrote. Yeah, I thought about this. <laughs> the first time I, I, I sat down and wrote for serious, um, and this is part of the story that uh, some people who know me know I've, I've told many times I was in uh, a postgraduate program and I was in a relation, long term relationship and um, the program was taxing. I was getting disillusioned and I needed a way to escape from um, it wasn't drudgery only. It was drudgery with a lot of responsibility um, we were living on uh, graduate stipends. They made us sign these pledges that said that we understand if we receive this support from the university, we are uh, adjunct, you know, um, employees, and therefore we can't go and get another job that would interfere with uh-huh. the, the university's need for us to, to whatever, which meant that we would have classes during the day and then the nighttime classes that the professors are, you know, who yeah, we I'm familiar. <laughs> grad assistants to, they would go home and we would have to sit there and um, do the classes or proctor the classes or whatever. Not that we were teaching them per se, but we were doing a lot of the work and it was, I was, I was, I was destitute. I was freaking out and I was a grown up with real bills, not just freshly out of um, grad school. And so I sat down and um, it was, and I hate to say it, I actually remember the, the paper I was supposed to be writing. I'm not going to tell you what it was. <laughs> um, I'll just say it, um, it was part of uh, an advanced lifestyle, lifespan development class that triggered it. And I was like, I'm so sick of writing these papers and playing the puppet. And the paper was due. Let's just say it, it was due. But instead, I, I wrote a little ditty and uh, the paper needed to be, I think the paper needed to be around 5,000 words and I was 3,000 in and just over it and it was 
it was in the witching hour oh, for me. horrible. Yeah. Yeah. Which is uh, like 11 ish, 12 ish at night. And um, I've got this class the next day. I sat down and I was like, I need to get away from this. And I started writing the most out of the box buckaroo bonsai so many different genres. It was a Raggedy Ann Frankenstein and I was railing on what was going on in my relationship with my guy because I was listening to Adele and I was like, you know what? I will Adele. <laughs> and uh, Ooh, uh, that should be a verb. We need to <laughs> Adele those annoying men. <laughs> yeah. And um, I had been daydreaming about finding a way to make extra money. And at the time, everybody was trying to teach about this new platform that had just come out, uh, Kindle. And everybody was talking about uh, making recipe books. And I was like, look, I'm struggling. I don't have money money to be messing up food on the pretense that I'm going to take a picture of it and it's going to come out right the first time. So I was like, that's no go. <laughs> oh, I didn't think of that. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. So that was going on at that time. Like I said, I've got mortgage, car payments, insurance, uh, transportation costs to and from because I don't live on the university's campus, all these different things bearing down on me. And I've got this paper due about something that I'm like, I, I, I just felt like it was busy work or either parts of, of the current, that professor's research that he was trying to get us to research for him on the sly. You know, you know how it is. And in, 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 in the yes, I've yeah. lived my whole life around universities. I know. <laughs> so you definitely know. So I put the, put it to the side. And when I looked up, Kelly, I had a it was a little over 3,000 words, but it had a beginning, a middle, and an end. I felt cathartic. I felt like I had released something, and I felt emboldened. And I was like, you know what? At the time, I only had Microsoft Word. I didn't have all that fancy stuff that you know we use now uh, in our writing, but I ran it through Microsoft Word to try to check for as many misspellings and stuff as possible. And I <laughs> don't judge me. <laughs> you know, I never judge you. I opened up Microsoft Paint and I started looking for clip art. I kid you not. I started looking for clip, clip it was art. was the day. I get it. <laughs> to put on the cover so that I could have a cover because when I just typed my name out in, are you ready for it? Papyrus. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so pretty. <laughs> it didn't look all that right. All that great. So, I, uh, I was like, well, let me, let me spruce this up. And I found a tree. And I'm not going to tell you the whole thing because, thank God, those, they don't exist anymore. But I, I thought it looked, I, I thought it looked passable. And I, I, I dared to go into Kindle and I typed in Kindle, how do I publish a book for Kindle? And it sent me, I finally, and I spent, I'm going to say I spent the next like three or four days trial and error trying to figure it out. Because at that time you still had to know how to do HTML tags. Do you remember that? Oh yeah. The to, 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 to tag your chapters. And like I said, there's only 3000 words, but I managed, honey, I managed to have me 10 good chapters. So I thought I was doing something. And I was like, wait, 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 wait. You had 3000 words and 10 chapters. Yeah, because I was, I didn't realize I was writing in little, this is almost sonnet vignettes, but yeah. I was, I was determined, you know, and remember I wrote this in a, in a total spate of like two hours. I spruced it up, fixed the cover and I put it up and, um, it was frustrating, but it was a good frustration because it was something in defiance of my conditions because yeah. it was taboo. I wasn't supposed to be doing it. And 
I felt, I believe, and the reason why I'm telling this story with all the details in it is because I believe that I have. Mm-hmm. I'm going to, all right, I had to pause for the reader's ears. Michelle, can you get back to what you're <laughs> Yeah, doing? I sure can. Um, the reason why I said I, I, I was taking my time to tell this story is because I really believe that that was the first time I had a real experience with the muse. Um, I had studied the the Greek muses, the three, then the five, then the nine, you know. <laughs> you know, I, I knew it from an academic standpoint of folklore or mythology. But I knew that that had to be a power greater than me um, helping me to write a whole story with a beginning, a middle, and an end. And I had a release. Of, it feels that way, doesn't it? I know. Yeah. And so that's why I was like, I, there is no doubt in my mind because of my experiences, not what I've heard, but what I know, that the, the, the muse is, is real. The muse is um, elect, electrical frequency of a vibration that I continuously try to make sure I get to whenever I sit down and I honor the muse. And so I finally got um, that story done, got it published and it started selling and it started getting one and two stars and people started saying, Oh, bless her heart and all of this. Oh no! <laughs> and it was horrible. It was selling. <laughs> yeah. Now, mind you, I am a postgraduate. I've got master's degrees. I'm working towards, you know, hopefully PhD status here. And I got trashed for okay. sentence structure and but all that stuff. But you only wrote, you wrote that story in two hours and published it. So, yes, there's a little advisory that you probably want to sit on it for a week and then maybe expand it. But that's amazing. But you know what? And yes, we can say that, but what I was going to say was, is my greatest lesson was this, that books are, your first books are your sacrificial lambs. I, I was glad I didn't sit on it. And when I talked to my mm -hmm. students, I'm like, get over it. They're going to come for you, whether it's perfect or whether it's trash. <laughs> the thing is, is what they didn't come for was a refund. And I took that to my bank and I oh, got it yeah. done. Because like my personal theme right now is done is the new perfect and that's that's how I, I look at it I went on to to write 13 stories like that uh through that semester and those turned into enough to pay my car note and insurance and they were all horrid I was head hopping because <laughs> I had never you know, been the readers didn't think they were horrid the readers paid for them and didn't ask for well this is another thing that I, I wanted to say to your listeners. Get over um, one-star reviews. I believe a lot of times they sell more books than five-star. Uh, in some cases. Yep. There and, it depends on the review, but yes. yeah. Yeah, because I started getting a collection of people who wanted to laugh. And they were like, because people were like, Lord help her. She tried, did <laughs> I mean, they would have horrible, you know, reviews on there. And I was, I was sad, but I, like I said, my hunger in the grocery store would far outweighed my hunger to be liked. And these people were buying these books. And so I continued writing them and I'm still going to school and I'm still trying to teach myself how to write. Uh, at first I was trying to listen to what the, the people were saying in the reviews to get better. And then I, I remember once I had those 13, I started trying to uh, learn. Um, and I bought this book off of um, Barnes and Noble. It's 
but not on this bookcase. I've got many bookcases out in the garage. Don't judge me. But it was a <laughs> it was a series that this professor wrote on how to read how to write, uh, read, and it had I got the how to read literature, how to read a novel, how to read a um, an essay, and it started teaching me how to flip from reading a book as a reader to reading it as a writer. And they were little books, um, and and they really helped me. Ooh, I, I wish interesting. I could, yeah, I wish I could say that I have an MFA in this or that. I do not. Um, you know <laughs> we all, all people who want to write, they usually start with the reading. And all we want to do is tell a good story. Mm-hmm. You don't need an MFA for that. But I like what you said. I want to go back to the done is the new perfect. Mm-hmm. And you learned by doing mm-hmm. and you improved and you kept going, and you didn't give up, but you wrote. And yes, you were motivated to hope that you could pay for your groceries, but a lot of other people might have chosen to, you know, sell off their car or something else to pay for their groceries rather than put themselves out there. That's amazing. So I agree with you. Yeah. Doing the writing taught you and got you where you are to be a USA Today bestseller with three (laughs) series and other things going on. That's on one of my, um, one of my mine. And I mean, I look back and I don't tell all of my pen pen names. Uh, Kelly knows that we're friends. Uh, But when I look back over it and know that I have written and published, I'm coming up on almost 60 books now. I'm like, wow. And I look back at those books and I don't tell anybody. I got paid to learn. That was the only <laughs> There's only something career. to be said for that, isn't it? You not yeah. only got paid to learn, but you had a little bit of fun writing those stories. <laughs> yeah, now when my ex found out about him, he wasn't happy and uh you know, he didn't pull a total Adele and ask for some of the proceeds, but he was just like, I don't like this. And I was like, well, I changed your name and all this kind of stuff. <laughs> you know and um, he read one of them, one of the better ones at the end. And he, he got a kick out of it. He laughed because I was writing, like I said, I was, I was writing all across these different genres. I think to, to this day, that's why I'm such a genre mixer when I write stuff, because that's what I cut my teeth on. And that's where I, was able um, to get involved in the uh, creative process to experience the muse and, you know, to actually see that, yeah, I can do this and I don't have to do it like anyone else. I can do it like me. Um, Which is the value of Kindle because mm-hmm. we, you know, in the traditional sphere, where I started, you did not have that freedom. You know, everyone was telling you, make it perfect, perfect before you send it to the editor. And then when you finally got an editor, the editor was still changing things. So it always felt like a trial. And it's one of the things I like about self-publishing is that it really lets you do it the way you want to do it. You would have had trouble with an editor with your, all your mashup, (laughs) but you don't have trouble with the readers with all that mashup. Right. And that's the wonderful thing. I remember one of the biggest takeaways, because I've been asked this in um, previous interviews before, what was one of the biggest takeaways from all those those books just doing it? Um, one of the biggest takeaways that, one, that my readers um, would say was, um, I don't think this author understands... <laughs> this particular whatever I was trying to write they need to go back and research and 
I would sometimes pick stuff as a periphery enjoyer of it. I was not in the middle of it. And so I wanted to say that because I believe that the power of the muse works best with us when we write what we know. Now we can expand on what we know, but I have found working with people who would write their first novels and they always want to pick something they don't know anything about. Okay, stop a second. Wait a second. I want you to go back because you're writing about aliens, paranormals, normal shifters and more. So mm-hmm. how is that what you know? <laughs> I well, know it is, but tell me, tell you, tell my readers, tell my listeners how. I'm a black African-American Southern woman. I am the alien. I am the other. In my culture, we have always enjoyed science fiction and the possible what ifs and the abilities to shift into something else because we were never really embraced in the normative. And so I know that part well. I know that when I go out into space or if I want to shift into a griffin, I can do that in my worlds that I create because nobody is... uh, Nobody is expecting me to be anything other. I am used to people, are used to people having, have walked up to me and felt like they could put their hands on me to touch my hair or rub my skin because I looked so different from them. And so I write what I know through that medium. Right. Okay, good. I like that. I like that you said that. That's really powerful. We're going a little bit long and I know I'm taking too much of your time, but I'm really enjoying this. I'm so, so Oh, glad. that's fine. Go ahead. Go ahead. I'm, I'm, I'm all right. Good. So I'm going to do my last question, which is what is your number one go-to when you're feeling avoidant um, that you, and you have to get the words down? What do you do? What works for you? Um, mine's a little unorthodox, like everything I've possibly said today. Um, instead of trying to make myself right, I pace and I walk and I talk. Um, going back to those books that I talked about out in the garage about how to read like a, you know, English teacher, literature and all this kind of stuff. He didn't say it in these words, but my biggest takeaway and aha was that I am not an author. I am not a writer. I'm a storyteller. Mm -hmm. There is a reason why when I was a kid, I didn't grow up just writing. I grew up telling great, entertaining stories, entertaining my my siblings. Oh, I can see that. Yeah. (laughs) And so there, to me, there is a, there is a slight little play on it. Um, For a storyteller, our objective, our goal is to entertain you and keep you enthralled until we, we get to the end of what we're doing. For a writer, I believe, for the most part, they write these entertaining stories that they want to invite you in. And so for me, I create based on what will entertain you. Writers, I admire them because they can come up with writings that are so good that they're like, here it is. And people are like, oh, I love that. So, um, <laughs> so for me, as a storyteller, I can tell story in different mediums, uh, whether it be writing, spoken word, you know, singing. I used to sing um, growing up and in, in, well into my adult years. And, um, and so I am a storyteller. So if I'm not feeling it, like right now, I am pressing through on a new project I'm working on. And when I sit down to write, I, um, I get 
that sense of, oh, this is too much. And so what I'll do is I will take my phone. There is this, pro, uh, this app I use that dictates it. And I'll talk into the phone and it'll just dictate and dictate and dictate. And um, you can do it for free or it's a paid one, but it, it's a beautiful way for me to get past myself. And once I get to the point where I'm like, okay, I've gotten it out, I'll take what I've uh, done on my phone, I'll email it to myself, and then I can start looking at it and, and finding the pieces and the little sparks of creativity, and then I get to, um, to start writing again. You know, it's funny. I just started doing that. Um, oh, like really? A writer's conference. Well, actually, I organized a little writer's conference in February, and uh, one of the people... Uh, there was talking about how she uses her AirPods and her iPhone because she's a mom and she's running around all the time and she's writing a lot. And I was like, oh, that sounds interesting. So I went home and I tried it. And I had tried dictation a very long time ago, uh, actually with like, you know, handheld dictaphone type machine yeah, I had in my too. car and I hated transcribing it, but you don't have to transcribe this. It transcribes itself. Yeah. Yes. There's some interesting, uh, things where it doesn't understand what you said. <laughs> Well, I use this app. It's called Otter. O-T-T-E-R. It's the Otter app. And, um, like I said before, you can do it for free or there's a paid version. I, I was using it so much, I went on and, and got the paid version, but you can do a lot on the free. And I'll tell you why I choose to do this instead of the dictation over um, my uh, uh, Olympus uh, <laughs> and my dragon, <laughs> naturally speaking. Yes, I have all that stuff too. I found that when I separated out away from what I have been conditioned that, oh, this is my writing space, like, you know, on my computer, I get all of this uh, anxiety that create anxiety that I was talking about oh, and I can't think. And so when I take, when I move away from it, because I don't write on my phone, when I move away from that and I open up my order, my order tells me I am free to just riff and say whatever I want to. I don't have to remember to give it a command. You know, I can do run-ons and it oh, writes nice. it writes it out for me. And that's when I can get into my flow, like uh Miha Jinxi Mihai talks about. Um and it it like I said, it becomes a different way that my storyteller self can express herself. Um, a lot of times I don't even start it as trying to say, oh, this is what's going to happen. I'll ask questions uh, to my characters. I'm like, you know, what are y'all trying to say? Why are y'all giving me problems? I mean, a lot of times I'm asking them questions and fussing at them. And then are they answering I'll, you? Yeah. Uh, and when I say, when, when, when I say, yeah, uh, surely thereafter, new sparks of uh, visions and, and thoughts will start to ping. And I'll be, I, I mean, I, it's embarrassing how many oohs I have in my transcripts of, um, <laughs> that's of, not um, embarrassing. That's good. Yeah. And so they, they start to come and, and things that I would never think of, you know, happen. Now, one thing I'll say, I've noticed in my reviews that since I have, uh, divorced myself from trying to be a perfect dictator of, uh, my, my books, like a lot of other people have managed, uh, and use still oh, yeah. use my Those otter. Those are they're they're. I hate them. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know about how they pull it off. I haven't succeeded yet, but I do use that dictation. And like I said, it's to me, it's my notes because I mean, 
it's kind of like that friend that's willing to listen to everything and yeah. they, they don't, they don't necessarily have to say anything, but it, they're just a good listener. So I do that with the app. And what I have found is that in my reviews on my books, I'm starting to get more reviews that say the characters are so well thought out. I love the, uh, the story. It gave me what I expected, but with enough, uh, fresh newness that it kept me, uh, intrigued. I love when I get, um, the page turner, it's a page turner. And I really believe that is because I'm going to go on and say, wait for it, wait for it, Kelly, that my art app is my tangible representation of the muse and how I can have a conversation with Oh, yes. Oh, I see that. I like that. You know what? That's, I'm going to steal that. That's a really good idea. Yeah. I, I enjoy it because like I said, I don't have to censor myself. Yeah, but you don't have to stick to the story either. So you're not at all, you don't even have to be like, because I'm not very good at dictating the actual story. I'm good at sort of saying, well, this is probably going to happen. And I'm really good at doing like conversation between characters. through. So I, I usually do a lot of dialogue because um, it sounds more real to me if I'm actually hearing it. But I never thought about just riffing with my muse um, that's a really good idea gets yeah. gets you more to the heart of the story i'm sure i'm just laughing because as i'm listening to you i'm starting to see some of the transcripts and there's this other the, uh, this other statement that comes up a lot and i had I, I i i threatened to so besides um, ooh, you also say what <laughs> and this is it and you know what and you know what what? okay so how many listen to me's are there (laughs) oh there are there are a lot but the the oohs and and you know what they pepper those transcripts and it doesn't I don't I don't just go on and on I'm gonna say I normally take no more than maybe under 10 minutes to, to do it. It's, it's not really? a Really? So it just kind of shakes up the create creativity mm-hmm. and gets mm-hmm. you back in the flow. That's great. Oh, yeah. I, that, I have not heard that tip from anybody before. That's great. Well, who are you I talking to, it. Kelly? You're talking to <laughs> Michelle. You know I don't ha- behave like most I'm people. I'm talking to all those old stodgy writers. <laughs> <laughs> now, and then this is another thing I can tell people um, that I, I do. When I go for my daily walks, as it hadn't been daily this week because I've been working, but um, I'll take my phone with me and, um, I love to listen to, to books. And of course your, your mind will drift off to different little things. I don't like to turn my otter on, um, while I'm listening to a book. Cause sometimes it, the, don't cross the streams, don't cross, <laughs> yeah. you know? And so it won't turn off and then I'll look and part of the book has been dictated. And I'm like, ah! So yeah, I don't, don't that, yeah. I don't like to, oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm, I, I have something in my hand. You're fidgety. <laughs> yeah. To, to keep me and I'm moving and stuff. But anyway, um, so what I was going to say is, is you can use something totally different. You can use either Google Keep or um, I was using Google Keep, but it, I, I don't know. It's kind of glitchy sometimes on your phone. Um, but what I do is I have um, the Microsoft Office plan. If you have it, then you can take advantage of uh, their um, OneNote. Oh, oh, OneNote. Yeah. Their OneNote. 
And their OneNote is so amazing. Uh, I hate to say it, but it is vying for my love of Scrivener because I can do just about everything in there. <laughs> and and it, it, it's immediately updating everything. So if I change computers, if I change phones, if I get on my tablet, if I get on my iPad, it is on every single one of them. And if it's not, I just hit, click sync uh, and it does. And so it has um, um, the microphone where you can just tap it and I don't know what it is, but that dictation, it beats just about everything else. I mean, I can just like, it'll take regular commands like um, full stop or period, next line, uh, open quote, close quote, you know, just the normal ones that you would use. Mm -hmm. And there are times when I can dictate a thought, like I'll hear a character's voice speaking to me when I'm walking and I'll, mm -hmm. I'll do that. Or, you know, the same little thing uh, that I can do in order if I'm, I'm riffing in that way, I'm not trying to type, I'm just speaking into the phone and it doesn't cross the streams <laughs> with my audio, <laughs> my audio books. But you can, there's a way to kind to sort of do it on Google Keep, which is a, you know, free service. Um, it's just not as um, accurate as uh, the OneNote. I guess you get what you pay for. But I do like Google Keep as well. Um, but you do it in note form. And um, you can, like I said, you set it up in note form. And then depending on what kind of phone you have, I, I have an Android. I guess that's why I, I like those but two. But you said OneNote is more accurate than Google Keep. Yeah. And OneNote, I know, works on both both platforms. And it has the built-in microphone. Um, if I'm using Google Keep, okay, so like on my OneNote, I have the built-in uh, microphone on it, but I also on my Google keyboard for that phone, it has the microphone. When I open up Google Keep, it does not have a built-in microphone on the platform, but on my phone, like, you know, hello Google or whatever, oh, yeah. I can tell it what I want and it'll type it out. So I know people are going to probably, I don't want them writing you saying, that doesn't work. You know, that's how I use it. It's kind of like a little hack where I'll open up the program and because I'm using the, the keyboard on the phone that has a way, you know, to... Oh, with the little microphone, yeah. With the microphone, that's how I'm able to do it because I don't want people saying, well, I didn't see that and that doesn't work. Yeah, so, so okay, so it works on the phone for sure. Yeah. Yep. Yep. All right. That is, that is so cool. All right. I have taken enough of your time. I could talk to you for the rest of the day. So I want to thank you and I want to give you a little opportunity to let people know where they can find you and your books. Okay. Do you have any new ones coming out? Yeah, actually I'm publishing one. Um, it's supposed to be, it's it's supposed to be going live at the end of next week, and I don't want to give dates, but it'll. I, I have one publishing this month because I don't know when you're gonna um, put this up. But if by the chance when you put when you do make this live and you see book six of Dragon's Curvy uh, series available, that's the book that I'm about to publish. I like it. It's really funny. It's um, my stab at um, a true romantic comedy in in my. Alien. With dragons. Yeah, with dragons. True romantic comedy with dragons. That sounds yeah. pretty irresistible. Yeah, and uh, it's uh, it's one of those um, fake fake uh, engagement kind of stories. Uh, where oh, I love that trope. <laughs> yeah, so it's got dragons. I'm a sucker for that trope. It was, yeah, with dragons. That's interesting. All right, so spell Michael Danos and, and your website. 
That's okay, right. so my web, my website is michaeldaniels.com for that pen name, and it's M-Y-C-H-A-L, Michael. You can find it in the Bible, people. Uh, so <laughs> King King David's first wife is named Michael. People tell me, You're that's kidding. I did no, not know that. That's, that's where I got it from. Um, yeah, uh, so her name is Michael, and it's M-Y-C-H-A-L. Uh, Michael is a play on my name, Michelle, which is Michelle or Michael. So that's where I get the Michael from, spelled that way. Daniels with an S on the end, and that's Michael Daniels, M-Y-C-H-A-L, Daniels with an S on the end, dot com. Or um, you can just, I'm on Facebook, Instagram. I suck at my uh, social media game, but you can, <laughs> you can find me and, you know, wave at me. Um, I do want to mention, if you don't mind, that um, on my side, Michelle Spiba, um, I have... Um, I have a podcast and it's called Michelle Spiva okay. Wisdom Smack and I'm on uh, Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, uh, iTunes and uh, some others. Um, and you're already up to episode 36, right? Yeah, yeah. So I'm excited about that. I, it's a daily and it's not talking about um, the story writing process, but I do use story to talk about witticisms and uh, wisdom and um, stories of, of growing up, stories that I've observed and uh, giving people little insights that make you go, ah, you know, and so it's a, a daily 30 minute podcast at Michelle Spiva Wisdom Smack. That sounds good. And I recommend people do that. Oops, sorry. I just hit something which probably made it sound weird. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I definitely recommend people try that out. Michelle has a lot of wisdom. Definitely makes me go, ooh, that's interesting. An <laughs> awful you, lot. Kelly. Oh, thank, thank you, you. This was great. I really appreciate your doing this. So much good stuff. And I have to go try some of it out. <laughs> All right. I enjoyed it. Thank you so much. All right. Now I'm going to do my ending. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you, Michael, Michelle. This has been insightful. Thank you so much for spending some time with Hack Your Muse. Okay. That's all for this episode. Stay tuned for more Muse Hacking Wisdom next week. Although I don't know if anyone can compete with Michelle. We'll see. <laughs> Okay, Muse Hackers, it's commercial time. If you love this podcast and want to support it with real dollars and cents, I have the perfect course for you on Teachable. Meet Your Muse is a mini course that will show you how to unleash the power of your muse while at the same time reining in some of her most creativity crushing bad habits. If you spend more time thinking about writing than actually writing, Meet Your Muse can help you turn that around. Once you've met your muse, you will have the keys to creating the most productive writing sessions ever, even if you only have 10 minutes a day to write. Remember, one page a day, 250 words, equals 364 pages, 90,000 words. That could be two short books or one good-sized book, or five or six or more short stories, articles, or blog posts. Isn't that worth $20 in two hours or less of your time? Best part, you will be supporting this podcast to continue seeking out the best news hacking writers around and sharing that wisdom with you for free. To sign up for Meet Your Muse, go to hack-your-muse.teachable.com. That's hack-your-muse.teachable.com. Thanks. See you next week.